Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 24 of Subspace Communique's Life After Track. I'm your host, Chris, or Captain Pike, and with me as always... Charity, a.k.a. Crewman Becky. So tonight's episode is, uh, I always say that it's a special episode, but tonight for me is a really special episode. Uh, we get to talk to Dan Madsen. Many of you out there know Dan from his, uh, his work on Star Trek Communicator uh, in the official Star Trek fan club, starting with uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture. Uh, the Lucasfilm fan club, he headed all of that, edited The Communicator, um, worked on the official Lucasfilm magazine. D- there's too many things to name, and I don't want to name them all here because we do get into into depth in the interview uh, with Dan. But for me, this is a really, really cool experience because Dan is is the epitome of what a fan can do. And for me, that's just super exciting because we're fans and that's what we do. But I know that you'll totally like this episode because I honestly loved every second of it. Totally. It, it was one of my favorites. I had a giant smile on my face the <laughs> whole time. And I don't want to talk about it too much because I know you guys want to get into the interview. Oh, and just as an FYI, during the podcast, uh, I forgot to turn off my email program. So about 75% of the way through, you'll hear an email come through. And I didn't want to delete it out because it was, you know, while Dan was talking, I didn't want to, to override what he was saying. But uh, just so you know, you're not going crazy. That's one of my work emails coming through. So sorry about that. But a big thanks to Dan uh, for talking with us and hope you guys enjoy this. Here you go. Hey everyone and welcome back to the show. Uh, We would like to give an extremely warm Life After Trek welcome to Dan Madsen. Uh, Dan is... Uh, well-known throughout both Star Trek and Star Wars uh, fandom. Uh, but uh, hey, Dan, thanks for joining us. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, we're really excited about this. Uh, I don't know how many of you folks out there know who Dan Madsen is. Most of you probably do, especially if you've been in uh, Star Trek or Star Wars fandom uh, for any length of time. Uh, but what we want to do first, what we want to talk about first, uh, is how you got started uh, with your fan club. I believe it started after Star Trek The Motion Picture. It did, actually. The fan club itself did. I've been a Star Trek fan since, uh, oh my gosh, the, the the 70s when I was watching reruns of the original series. I'd come home from school and grab a snack and sit down in front of the TV and watch Star Trek. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, the the first time I started a fan club, though, was back in uh, 1979. I was really pumped up for the first Star Trek film, Star Trek, the motion picture. Oh, sure. I was so excited about it, so I decided to start a little fan club and sat down in front of my typewriter and started typing out a newsletter and then went down to the Xerox, you know, uh, <laughs> place and Xeroxed off copies of it and such and placed a little tiny ad in Starlog magazine back in the classifieds and stuff, and I think I got, you know, maybe 5, 10, 15 members in my fan club. It was called Star Trek The Motion Picture Fan Club uh, when it started, and uh, it was pretty pretty simplistic. and. Um, and then I got a job in a print shop, and I started uh, learning how to make the, the newsletter look better. Oh, that's awesome. That's that's actually fortuitous for you. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. it was. It totally was, because I, I started uh, making it look more professional. And uh, uh, around the time that uh, Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan came out, uh, it got in the hands of Paramount Studios, and they... it started looking so good, I guess they thought I was making a, a load of money off of them. <laughs> So I, I get this uh, phone call from them, and 
I said, geez, do you know you realize you're not doing you're you're doing this without a license? And I said, well, I'm just a kid. I'm just you know just doing this for the love of Star Trek. And I said, well, actually, you have the right amount of fanaticism mixed with the right amount of professionalism. And we'd like to talk to you about maybe becoming the official Star Trek fan club. And so uh, they flew me out to the studio and oh, sat wow. down and talked with them. And and I should note too that prior to that, I had become very good friends with Gene Roddenberry. And he was getting my newsletter all the time, and wow, that's he loved it. Really cool. I get letters from him. Yeah, that's like getting the stamp of approval. Yeah, he went to yeah exactly. He went to bat for me with the Paramount licensing folks and wow. said, "This is the guy. You need a license." Wow. So, Gene came to my my aid when the time came. That's amazing. How did how did you guys um, meet? Gene Roddenberry. Yeah. I just started sending him my newsletter, no and <laughs> I, I just yeah, I did. I just started sending it to Paramount Studios, and it actually got to him. And wow. uh, as I said, when it started getting even more professional looking, and the studio started taking notice, well, so did Gene. He started really, you know, coming. I get letters. I've still got all my letters from Gene over oh, the years, and uh, he sent me, uh, you know, he'd send me little notes and letters, and then I started asking if I could do updates with him. Uh, for the newsletter, um, and he agreed. So I started talking to him uh, every issue and doing little updates and such, and we just kind of hit it off. And then when I flew out to the studio several times, he'd invite me to his office and we'd sit and chat for a while. And so it was, um, yeah, it just developed over all that time. And, and, uh, you know, part of it, too, is that um, he kind of liked my story in the sense that, uh, you know, for your listeners that have never seen me or may may not know me, I'm a little person. I'm uh, only four foot two, and so the very first it was kind of fortuitous because the very first episode of Star Trek that I ever sat down and watched happened to be Plato's Stepchildren oh, with wow. Michael Dunn as little Alexander, and that episode completely and utterly motivated me to become a huge Trekker and. Uh, you know, I started seeing, watch that episode, and suddenly here's a person that looks just like me, and I, I responded to him, and that line in the in the show where Captain Kirk sits down next to him, and he asks him, he says, you know, what's it like where you come from? And he says, Alexander, where I come from, size, shape, or color makes no difference. Mm. And that just clicked in my head. The minute I heard that, I thought, oh, man, would I love to be, that, be in a world like that. Because at that time, as a teenager, I was, you know, getting picked on and made fun of a little bit because I was different. And yeah. so sure. that really um, that really hit home with me. And uh, Yeah, that's the coolest thing about Star Trek. And, and all the folks that we've talked to, whether they be uh, former cast or crew, um, people involved with Star Trek, um, just the fact that Star... You know, there's that moment, that, that genesis of fandom, for, the, for right. lack of a better term, but where you're you you see something on TV and it's unlike a lot of the stuff that's on TV now it's very motivating you know what i mean it's it's something that can touch you and and show you that you know the world isn't always like what's all around you absolutely um, right so yeah that's that's one of the, the my most favorite things about doing these is is listening to people talk about how star trek has affected them so that's, it really has i mean it it literally you know you hear people say you know, well, it's just a TV show and all of that. But this TV show, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, this TV show literally changed my life. Mm. Literally, for the better. That is true. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't, my whole life uh, changed. I mean, literally, the whole direction my life went in 
changed as a result of Star Trek. Um, so I'm here to I'm, I'm living proof that a television show can change your life. Absolutely. And then you can reach out to the, the folks that have created the show, uh, Gene yep. especially, and he responds in a positive way and, and comes in and touches your life even further. So that's totally, that's so amazing. He really was. And he was like a big teddy bear. You know, he'd always give you a big bear hug when you'd see him. And <laughs> I just, he was such a nice guy. I have to say, I mean, Gene Roddenberry was really not only an inspiration, but he was just a genuinely mm. approachable, nice human being. And uh, I have such fond memories of not only meeting and talking with him at, at his office, but uh, talking with him on the phone. And he was such a supporter of, of mine and what we were doing and was right up till, uh, you know, till literally when he passed away. And um, so I have nothing but fond memories. And, I'm, you know, I'm still good friends with uh, Rod, his son now. And sure. so the Rod and whole Roddenberry family was uh, really wonderful. I have, I have no dirt to, re- <laughs> to fill out on them. I, they're just a great, great, great people. And Rod's picking up the mantle and doing a, an amazing job furthering the, isn't he? I know yeah. he totally is. I know. I, th- I tell him all the time. I say, you know, your dad would really be proud of how you've carried the torch. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you said that, you said that Paramount flew you out in 82. Uh, yep. Was that before or after the re- release of Rathacon? Were you able to see uh, any of the filming of Rathacon? Uh, oh, no, I did not get to see any of the filming of Rathacon. That was, they flew me out um, prior to that. Gotcha. And um, um, I did get to go on the set of Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. And, oh, cool. and wow. Wandered all around, watched them film that, and then I was out <laughs> on the set of Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home and was there watching him film when the whole crew was crash landing in the San Francisco Bay there. And oh, wow. the whale comes up with its flipper. And I got to watch that whole day of filming and such. So, yeah, I've had a lot of... And then, of course, the next generation's a whole other story. It was some amazing memories I had of being around when that was just getting going. And Gene was, had invited me out to the set to, before the show ever came on and gave me a tour, a personal tour of all the sets wow. and wandered around and this guy comes walking by with this silver looking face and smiles and <laughs> waves and he sa- and he, he says, Hey, he says uh, he says, How you doing, Gene? And Gene's like, Good, Brent, how are you? And he walks <laughs> on and he says, He's gonna be a huge star when this show airs and I kinda looked at him and I was like, you know, his makeup didn't look so good in person. <laughs> So I was kind of like, well, I hope his makeup looks better on TV because he didn't look so good in person. <laughs> but it turned out to work good. It was Brent Spiner, of course, who played sure. Data. And, uh, but he knew right off that Data was going to be a huge fan favorite. That's so Even amazing. before the show ever aired. So you, uh, when it became the officially licensed Star Trek fan club, you also uh-huh. had the magazine that eventually became Star Trek Communicator, correct? Right, that's okay. correct. Mm-hmm. That is correct. So one thing I want to kind of ask you about... Um, I was too young to remember fan reaction. I mean, I, I watched Next Generation first run from the first episode um, in my early teens. Sure. Uh, wasn't really connected with uh, the fan base at large. Uh, since you were running the original official Star Trek fan club, um, what was fans' reaction to Next Generation before it aired? Well, initially when they first came out and started talking, I mean, when... When there was word that there was going to be a new Star Trek series, of course, everyone was extremely excited. I mean, that's what everybody had, you know, bring back Star Trek. That's what everybody had been, you know, 
desiring to see with Star Trek back on TV. Um, and then when it first came out that there was going to be an all-new crew, that that at first got some some flack. I mean, fans were like, you know, not happy about the fact that there was going to be a whole new crew and it wasn't going to be Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. And uh, so there was a little bit of, uh, I can remember, you know, a, a little bit of a pushback around that time. And mm-hmm. then, you know, slowly but surely, words started coming out about who these characters were. And in fact, in one of our newsletters, the official newsletter, the Star Trek Fan Club, we published the very first um, breakdown of who the cast were. And it was at that time was Captain Julian Picard. Um, <laughs> That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's got, and there was a couple of the cast members. I don't remember all now, but there a couple of them had different names at the time that Gene had supplied us with that. And we also had kind of like the first sketch drawing of what the Enterprise was going to look like in the new series. And oh, wow. um, that got, you know, then, then people started getting excited and mm. started really kind of coming on board. And I can even remember, though, when, when Patrick Stewart was cast as Captain Picard, people were like, that's the new captain? Because, <laughs> you know, they were like, he doesn't look anything like Captain Kirk. You know, he's this kind of aged, balding guy, you know? So I remember that was also interesting to see the fan reaction. And then, of course, the first episode aired and everybody was completely on board with Patrick Stewart. Sure. But, oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was... Um, it, it didn't immediately get embraced by the fans at first. I mean, it, it, it took some time to warm them up to the idea of a new cast and who they were and uh, and uh, fans to kind of warm up to this. And I think even after the first two seasons, it took sure. two seasons of the show for fans to really kind of really get on board and, and love the next generation like they love the original series. Yeah, it was the magic collars from the uniforms. That's what I like to call them. <laughs> when the collars appear, it got better. Yeah, exactly. Then they started loving it. Yep, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> Not exactly that there were, right. You know, there were some good episodes in season one and season two, but really the chemistry is is the best, I think, in season three on. So. Oh, totally. I agree. Season three is when the show really, uh, you know, caught its stride, and I think is when... Clearly, when fans started, you know, really warming up to the show and, and embracing it, you know, in the same vein as they did the original series. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you went from Star Trek, uh, the official fan club magazine, to Star Trek Communicator. Now, when did that transition happen? Um, geez, I'm not sure. I'm trying to think when that did happen. Because uh, for the longest time, you know, we'd go... <laughs> It was Star Trek the Motion Picture Fan Club, then Star Trek Two came out, and then it was Star Trek Two, the Wrath of Khan official fan club. <laughs> then it was Star Trek Three, the Search for Spock official fan club. And uh, finally, we just decided, you know, this is getting too expensive. You have to change it every time. <laughs> so Paramount and I agreed that we'd just call it the official Star Trek fan club. And uh, uh, and then it was just the newsletter of the mm-hmm. official Star Trek fan club. But uh, somewhere along the way, I think when we kind of went to... Uh, a larger format size and we were in glossy full color stock and we started getting sold into newsstands and grocery stores and such. We decided that the the magazine needed a name as opposed to fan club. We thought that that might turn people off if the, if it were on a newsstand, they might be embarrassed to be seen reading something said fan club on the cover. (laughs) So, uh, we changed it just to be called Star Trek communicator so that it was just a, uh, you know, it was the magazine, uh, official magazine for Star Trek, and uh, so I, I can't even. I'd be honest, I'm, I'm I'm not exactly sure when that name change happened. But Communicator was huge. I remember as a kid, 
growing up in a small town, uh, seeing, you know, communicator at Walden books or, you know, B Dalton, uh, and just, you know, being enamored with it and eating up every bit of it. And, you know, honestly, I, I never bought the magazine because I didn't have enough dough, but I would, (laughs) I would stand in B Dalton's and just, you know, until they shooed me out of there. (laughs) Well, you know, at its peak, at its peak, we had just about 85,000 members in the official Star Trek fan club. Oh my goodness. And the magazine we were printing, because the magazine got sent out to everyone that was in the fan club. That was part of their membership. And then we sold the magazine as well on the newsstands. And um, we were doing about, at its peak, about 250,000 copies. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. So it was it was big. It was big, you know. And you worked, with, uh, you worked with a lot of other uh, fans turned Star Trek uh, celebrities. Um, Absolutely. Like Larry Nemechek, you worked with him at The Communicator, right? Larry is one of my dear friends, and Larry was uh, the editor of The Star Trek Communicator for many, many, many years. And in fact, during its best years, it was Larry was editor, and he was the best, and uh, he should be editing a Star Trek magazine today because he's so good at it. He knows Star Trek so well, and but yeah, I really relied on Larry. Larry was uh, an, es- an essential part of the Star Trek communicator. It couldn't have been done without him. Yeah, he's a terrific guy, too. He sure is. I'm, I'm really excited about this documentary he's working on. Oh, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. totally. Absolutely, yeah. That was uh, Connor Rath for the folks out there. We had an yeah. interview with uh, with Larry about that. If, if uh, listeners want to check that out, uh, we talk in detail about that. I believe that's... Uh, seven or eight episodes back, something like that. I'll put it in the show cool. notes, though. But uh, cool, yeah. I, I haven't heard that. I'll have to go back and listen to it myself because I'm, I'm, uh, I'm anxiously awaiting. I didn't get to go to that convention, but heard all about it, knew all about it. So I'm fascinated by uh, this documentary that Larry's working on because I think it's going to be interesting to uh, hear all the. And you know, he got to interview Harv Bennett and mm, all kinds right. of people. So yeah. I'm pretty cool. I'm. I'm I'm really excited to see that when he eventually gets it done. So did you have much experience with uh, Harv Bennett and Nicholas Meyer uh, during that time when they were kind of heavily involved? Nicholas Meyer being, you know, Star Trek 2, Star Trek uh, 6 for folks out yeah. there. I, yeah, I did. I, 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 had, I was really well connected to both of them. Um, Harv Bennett used to do updates with me for every issue of the uh, Star Trek fan club magazine. Mm, so that's cool. Um, Every issue, he would do an update, giving us, you know, what's happening with the movies, where where they are with the next one, what they're doing with this, with that. When they started shooting, he'd give me updates on the shooting. So I talked to Harv all the time, and then we'd do major interviews with him as well. And Nick Meyer, the same way, we did interviews and updates with him as well. Um, so yeah, I did um, during that time period. I I was pretty well connected to those guys to the point where I could just call their offices and if I really needed to get a hold of them I could get a hold of them well that's cool yeah well I, it, it totally makes sense too I mean they obviously want to cater to uh to your large audience that you had and to fans in general because right. that's who's gonna who's gonna uh, buy the buy the seats for the movie so well and keep in mind too this was before the internet had really taken off so there was not the ability to just you know get on there and there was a million websites that could print you know post all kinds of information and you know, reveal, you know, uh, um, sneak peeks on things and such. I mean, other than Starlog magazine and such, I mean, the, really the only other official source to get this kind of information was through us. Um, you know, there are fanzines and such out there, but uh, we we had a direct line into um, 
everyone as they would as they were making the films. I mean, Harv Bennett, Nick Meyer, when Shatner was doing Star Trek V, we were doing updates with him nonstop, and Leonard Nimoy the same way on all the films he directed, we would do regular updates with him. Jonathan Frakes when the Next Generation movie started, you know, you know, I mean, all of the we do whoever was directing the movie and producing the movies, we'd get regular updates with them for every issue. Oh, that's great. That's great. And actually at at some point you were approached uh, by Lucasfilm to do the official licensed star Wars fan club as well. Now that, that uh, began from your experience, obviously uh, with the star Trek fan club, did they approach you and say, Hey, you've done such a fantastic job with, yeah. How'd they find out? How did they, how did that? Yeah, they did. Well, it just happened to be that a licensee that had a star Trek license, he was doing, I don't know if you guys remember back that far, but this guy had a license to do all these different Star Trek cloisonné pens, and he was doing pens from each episode mm. and all the different, I mean, just tons of these beautiful cloisonné pens. At any rate, um, he had was getting a license with Lucasfilm for Star Wars, and he happened to be out there, and they were talking about the fan club, and Lucasfilm had just shut down their fan club. They had decided it was too much work and that, they didn't know when George was going to get back to making new Star Wars films, so they <laughs> felt that it was time to close it down. And uh, he was talking to them about me, and they said, "Well, you know, what's his stuff look like?" And so they he gave them copies of everything I'd been doing for Star Trek, and they were extremely impressed. And that's when I got a call from Howard Rothman, the head of licensing, mm. and Lucas, and he said, "How would you be? Would you be interested in talking to us about taking over doing the fan club?" They'd never had let anybody outside of Lucasfilm ever do it. Wow. So I, I was the first one for them to um, to take the fan club out of house, so to mm. speak. That is and, too cool. uh, and of course, you know, what are you going to say, no? Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, I wasn't about to say no. <laughs> so kind of like Paramount, they flew me out to Skywalker Ranch, and I went oh, out there and, down and talked with them and met George, and mm. um, cool one thing led to another, and I started doing the fan club. But it wasn't the Star Wars fan club at first. It was the Lucasfilm fan club gotcha. because they oh. wanted me to cover all the things that they were doing other than just Star Wars because Star Wars was kind of past history and they were looking to the future and a couple of the projects that I started first covering and going to the sets and working on was uh, Willow. Okay, wow. Um, and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Oh, That's cool. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's wow. fantastic. Yeah, yeah that, was, uh, that was 1989, I think, uh, Indiana Jones yeah. and the Last Crusade. You know, that, uh, that, that movie is such a, a poignant time for me. I uh, know a lot of Is people it? out there. Yeah, it, uh, I remember seeing that in the theater. One of the last movies that I saw as a my family as a family went and saw uh-huh. Indiana Jones: The Last Crusade. Well, that's cool. So you, um, what uh, what part of uh, Last Crusade did you get to see uh, filmed? Um, well, I went over there and spent a week on the set over in in uh, London and uh, got to interview everybody oh, that was cool. involved in the film, both in front of the camera and behind the camera. I watched, oh my gosh, I watched lots of scenes being filmed. Like the, uh, uh, one of my favorite memories from that trip was uh, when I first got to meet Steven Spielberg. And um, <laughs> wow. we, they were filming the scene in the library where Indy's going around looking for the X, you know, on the floor or whatever when they find it and they go pull the floor off and they go down under into the caverns, you know, mm-hmm. and such. Um, and uh, so they were filming that scene and, he came and they introduced me to him. And so 
there were two director's chairs sitting there, and I sat in one, he sat in the other. And <laughs> he'd tell me, he'd say, uh, we'd start the interview, and we'd start talking, and then all of a sudden you'd hear somebody call and say, Stephen, we're ready. And he'd say, just a minute. He says, let me go do this, and I'll be right back. <laughs> so I'd be sitting there, and he'd go off, and you'd hear the camera say, action, you know, and the lights and buzzer would go off, and everybody would have to be quiet, and they'd film the scene. And then he'd tell them how to set up the next thing, and then he'd come back and go, now where were we? And we must have done that six, seven times where we'd just go back and forth. And I just thought, how amazing is this guy that, you know, he's filming this major motion picture. He has the wherewithal to go off and know exactly what he's wanting to shoot. And then he takes himself completely away from that, comes over and talks to the little old fan club guy here that's putting out the fan club magazine and sits down there and just gave me full attention. Nobody else, you know, other than he and I. And he was so warm and welcoming and down to earth, and I, I've never met anybody ever in the in the entertainment industry that I have more respect and admire more than Steven Spielberg. Wow. But uh, that was a highlight of that trip. But I got to see all kinds of scenes when they were in the the boats, and you remember the they're fighting in the sure, boats, sure. Uh, that and. Uh, some of the stuff when the the Holy Grail they found the Holy Grail and oh, wow. it's just been a lot of fun memories. That was a neat trip and everybody was so approachable on that set. That's so cool. And I wish people could see my face during this interview. I've just got a giant <laughs> smile. Yeah. This is <laughs> yeah. this is gold. I've got to say. Yeah. Well, it is. It, it, it was gold being there. Let me tell you. And oh, I had to get to actually, you know, look at all of the. They had like three or four different fedoras there you know that indie war and they have three or four different leather jackets you know that were there and you you know got to go to the wardrobe and i interviewed the wardrobe person and got to touch the jackets oh, and wow. look oh, at no. them and she showed me how they were made and you know i mean we went through every single person on that production everybody from you know the visual effects to the stuntman to the costume designers to the actors to the cameraman to the sound man i mean wow Every single person that had anything to do on that movie, I think I interviewed. <laughs> I bet it was like uh, like uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, just it going was. into the the giant warehouse full of everything you know made of candy. Just, that's what <laughs> <Totally>. I'm picturing. <laughs> totally, you're absolutely right. That was a good a good description of exactly <laughs> how I'm I felt walking on because I was a huge Indiana Jones fan long before that. So mm, yeah, the fact that you know to actually get to go onto the set of this movie and meet everybody was just amazing and sean connery was just an incredibly nice man oh that's cool that's very cool yeah because i hear yeah. he can be a little honorary sometimes no, he wasn't with me <laughs> that's cool he was just that's as nice funny. as could be same with harrison ford I, you know they just I, I there wasn't a there wasn't a sour person on that entire set that i met <laughs> at least that's awesome you know, it's funny. People are going to complain that I'm saying that's awesome too much in this one. Because we get those occasions. Well, it was awesome. I'll admit that. I, it was awesome. Oh, wow. So, you know, one thing I read on the Internet that I want to want to ask you about and, and make sure that it's true, because in my yeah. mind, it's uh, it's like seeing two suns collide. There's supposedly you have a picture or you got the only one of the only photographs of George Lucas and Gene Roddenberry meeting. That's correct. Oh. That is so crazy. Is it that the is so only cool. photograph? No, I don't think it's the only. There, you know, it's. I mean, somewhere, someplace, other people have photographs too. I mean, I, this photograph was taken at the 10th anniversary Star Wars convention out in Los Angeles, and um, Gene Roddenberry surprised George Lucas on stage and came out and oh, shook hands with him and congratulated him on the 10th anniversary of Star Wars and. Wow. 
you know, there were other people there with cameras, I'm sure, that took pictures, but the difference is that my picture, the picture that we had, got published in our magazine, and that's the one that kind of made the rounds, and there there were never really any other pictures published. So uh, even though there might be fans out there who have pictures in their own private collections that they took when they were there, there's hardly any out there that were ever published um, or put on the Internet or in magazines. And so that's kind of really what it is more than anything. It's really the only picture the two of them ever published, really. Wow. Wow. And officially licensed on both sides. And officially licensed, (laughs) yep. And it just so happens, you know, I was doing both the fan clubs at the same time. So, you know. That's amazing. And I used them in both too. I ran in one, ran once or twice in the Communicator, and uh, then it ran also in the Star Wars Insider too. Oh wow! <laughs> I'm sure there were people in the audience just uh, spontaneously combusting. I know I would. <laughs> I would imagine. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was pretty amazing. I remember George was very, uh, you know, shy and kind of quiet, and he was quite surprised when Gene come walking out. You know, to see these two giants. <laughs> You know, and, and meeting literal face to giants. face. Yeah, because yeah. Gene was a, a big guy, wasn't he? Oh, he's huge. That's what I say. He's a giant, te- you know, giant bear hug he'd give you. Cause, yeah, Gene was a very big man. Wow. Yeah, I'm almost yeah. at a loss for words here. I got to say. <laughs> Yet another awesome situation. Yeah, right? definitely yeah. another. Just <laughs> one other awesome out there. Yeah, that is definitely awesome. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I've gotten to do some pretty fun, amazing things in my. Uh, my fan and professional fan life, it's uh, a pretty amazing ride I've had on it, I have to say. And that leads to, uh, it kind of leads to you being in episode one as well. Yeah. Yeah, Dan was, uh, Dan had a, a cameo in, in uh, Star Wars episode one, the return of, of Star Wars in 1999. That's right. So, yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah, I have the, uh, I have the honor of, being on screen with one of the uh, most hated characters in science fiction, which is Star Jar <laughs> I come running out and grab the reins of his Kadu, which is this kind of like a dinosaur chicken-like creature, and he jumps off of his thing, and I grab the reins of his beast and take it off screen. And uh, yeah, that was a pretty cool, amazing thing. They had told me I was going to get uh, in advance. They had told me that um, I was going to get to uh, be an extra. And so um, when I got there, they, you know, had me measured for costume and everything like that, and got put into a made. I had my own costume made and everything, and uh, then was on the set. And at one point, they decided they wanted me to actually be more than an extra to actually have a, a cameo in the movie. So I did it, and then unfortunately, the uh, they didn't get everything they needed, and the sky was blue one day and gray and cloudy the next. So. I had to stay another week oh, because darn. they had to yeah. shoot additional <laughs> scenes. Yeah, that was yeah, like it was a hardship. <laughs> but yeah, so I had to stay an extra week to uh, to finish shooting that. But um, that was pretty fun, pretty cool to get to actually be in a Star Wars movie. I just just wish it could have been with somebody other than Jar Jar Binks. But oh well, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but I'm at best. I got to say that poor guy. He, Jar Jar <laughs> takes so much flack. I actually feel pretty sorry for I'm at best. Ahmed Best is a really cool guy. You know, we when I was running the official Star Wars fan club in 1999, we put on, I don't know if you've heard of the Star Wars celebrations. That yeah, totally. Happening. Yeah. Well, we put on the very first Star Wars celebration um, here in my hometown of Denver, Colorado. Lucasfilm came to us and said, we want to do something. And so we, 
we put on the very first Star Wars celebration here, and I produced it and had uh, we had about 30,000 people from all over the world descend here in Denver to go to the very first Star Wars celebration. And uh, one of the things that we did for the fans is that on Saturday night of the event, we booked a an old Jewish synagogue that had this amazing stage, you know, kind of like um, stage area that was in like a big gym or whatever. And we we advertised it as the Jar Jar Jam. And Ahmed <laughs> Beth came with his band. Oh, cool. And Ahmed Beth was up there on stage and was singing and dancing, and all the fans got to come in costume and dance and listen to him sing. And we had a lot of the uh, the guests that were at the Star Wars celebration came by and oh, wow. and enjoyed the event and such. And so that was a, a fond memory. And Ahmed Beth was pretty doggone cool up there on stage. So did you uh, did you run the official Star uh, Wars? You know, it's funny. I always say. Star Trek when I mean Star Wars and vice versa. If I'm talking about the the two in the same sentence, right, I'll, yeah. So be prepared for that. Um, but well, uh, like Penny Penny says on the Big Bang Theory, what's the difference? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. So were you running the official fan club up through uh, episode three as well? I was running the fan club uh, up into episode two. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Yep. And then I sold the company and and, and sold the fan club to uh, Wizards of the Coast, okay, uh, who did the Pokemon trading card game and all of that, and then sold the Star Trek company, uh, the fan club, to uh, Decipher Inc., who was doing the Star Trek and Star Wars customizable card games. Oh, neat! Interesting, yeah. And I think yeah. Wizards of the Coast is now uh, Wizard uh, Wizard World, right? I don't know what they what they, I haven't kept up with them all these years now. So I I think they're still Wizards of the Coast, but I could be wrong. Gotcha. Okay, a lot of wizards out there. There is Wizard <laughs> World. Wizard World is I think a conventions and such. Right. Right. And right. I think, but I'm not sure they're connected. I don't know. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So this actually kind of leads into to what you're doing now with uh, with her universe. Maybe I could ask you uh, to kind of explain what her universe is and and your role in it for folks out there that don't know. Absolutely. Well, her universe is the very first line of uh, sci-fi apparel for women, and it's uh, the brainchild of um, a founder, Ashley Eckstein, who's an actress, and the voice of Ahsoka Tano on Star Wars The Clone Wars, and probably one of the nicest people I've ever met. And uh, as Charity notes, because Charity was on our, our uh, Her Universe panel at the uh, last Star Trek convention in Las Vegas. Um, yeah, she's really sweet. Yeah, and uh, no, but I was talking about you. You being on the panel, you were <laughs> you were a great, you oh. were you were a fantastic uh, panelist on there. Oh, All three of you guys were just so great on that panel. I, really I keep enjoyed telling her the that. other gals were fantastic. No, I keep telling I'm, her that, and she's I'm, like. She has she a has a, a bit of stage fright. So. <laughs> oh, uh, you guys were all so interesting and so different, and yet you all had the same interest and in things. And uh, I just, you know, I thought that was such a great panel. I really enjoyed it. And uh, but um, yeah, so Ashley started this line of uh, with the with uh, she went to Lucasfilm and said, I, you know, she couldn't find shirts uh, or apparel for women, girls um, for Star Wars. She, you know, and, and all she could find were these, you know, she'd have to buy boys and men's clothes that were too big for her, not fitted to a woman. And so she went to Lucasfilm and said, you know, I'd really like to try to do something for myself, you know, and, and start a line of 
clothing for uh, for women for Star Wars, and they at first were a little hesitant, but then said, "Oh, you know, okay, we'll take a chance and try this." And so they gave her the license, and she did that. And uh, from the success of that, she went after the Sci-Fi license, uh, the Sci-Fi Network, which we have uh, stuff for Battlestar Galactica and Warehouse 13, and some of the shows that are on their television network um, or cable network, I should say. Um, and then we just got this last year, um, both Star Trek and Doctor Who, uh, which are both doing very well for us. And uh, got a couple new licenses we're working on to hopefully announce here this year Ooh, that are oh, very cool. pretty doggone cool. Can't wait to <laughs> and tell everybody rumor, about those. I hear rumor What's that there's that? a there's a Gorn T-shirt available <laughs> in the ah, universe as well. Exactly right. And Charity <laughs> might know a little something about that one, which is... You know what? That's our favorite Star Trek tea of all the ones we've done so far. Oh, that's cool. We I love it. it. Ashley loves it. I love it. Everybody loves it. That's very because cool. Because the artwork is so brilliant. Yeah, well, thank absolutely. you very much. Absolutely. <laughs> she's, you know, grinning ear to ear. She's, she's she quiet, but she's, yeah, she's beaming. So. The minute Ashley saw that artwork, and I, I think, Charity, you might know that, but I mean, the minute she saw that, she's like, ah. I gotta put that on a shirt. That, <laughs> that was so really cool. exciting when she stopped by and said that to us. Yeah, I was I was pretty stoked. <laughs> oh, she loved it. The minute she saw it, it was like, I gotta put that on a shirt. <laughs> so she was awfully happy that she was able to work out a deal with you so that we could oh, do that. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I was happy too. I was totally excited too. I'm I'm just glad as a gal that there's like shirts like that I can wear, you know, that that aren't out of the boys' department anymore. <laughs> Absolutely. It's well, and, you know, cool. we're we're expanding into other things this year too. We'll be doing uh, like leggings and uh, okay. sweaters and very cool. uh, handbags, maybe <laughs> handbags. Yes, handbags and more jewelry items. And awesome. So yeah, you know, I mean, little by little, it just you know, it takes a while, but little by little, it just it, it expands and grows. And Ashley has such a passion for not only the business, but all things sci-fi that uh, she really, you can just see it in everything she does. You know, I often tell people, you know, she's the real deal. She's not just faking it. She really, truly loves all things sci-fi and loves what she's doing with this business. And her husband, David, is on board with her and has been helping. And uh, it's just, she's uh, one of the best people I've ever worked with. No question about it. That's cool. Yeah, she's pretty amazing. And and folks out there, you can check it out at uh, heruniverse.com. So That's be right. sure and do that. Go check it out. Oh, yeah, totally. And look for a Gorn shirt. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, in fact, we just had the, you know, on our Facebook page, we switch out, you know, up there at the top, it says Her Universe and has Ashley in one of our shirts. And we switch out, and occasionally here she's in the picture of her in the Gorn shirt. <laughs> I get pretty excited that's when I see that, I have to shirt. <laughs> Yeah. He's evil, but the shirt is great. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. you you got to love the Gorn. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. You have to. So next, uh, next uh, Vegas Con, you have to wear that shirt, and we have to go by oh, Bobby Clark. Oh, that's true. Yeah. That that's a good to. idea. That would be really cool. He's such a that's sweet a guy. That's a very good idea. We've got to get a picture of you with Bobby Clark. <laughs> that would Clark. be really cool. Oh, good idea. Yeah. That's that's a cool idea. I love that. <laughs> Actually, you can hold the poster of the Gorn wearing the Gorn shirt. <laughs> Doesn't that rip a hole in the space-time continuum? I think it might, yeah. We <laughs> there might have you to go. Exactly. Sun, so. <laughs> How cool. <laughs> That's so cool. And thank you so much. I, I can't say it enough for talking to us. Oh, um, I've loved it, guys. You both are, you, know, you make your talking too easy, so not a problem. <laughs> That's super cool. Now, where can people find out more uh, about you and what you're doing? You have a Twitter account. 
Well, I do have a Twitter account, but I don't. Uh, are you talking about her universe or me? Uh, Heruniverse dot com, but you you uh, individually as well. Well, I don't have really. I I don't really have a a Twitter. I mean, I have one, but I don't use it very much. <laughs> I have a Facebook page, um, but uh, but yeah, but her universe. You can find us on Facebook, and we're on Twitter. We're always putting out interesting tweets, and Ashley's tweeting all the time. So. You can find us there, and there's links to both our her, our Facebook and Twitter page and our um, YouTube page as well on uh, heruniverse.com. Very cool. Very cool. Thank you so much. And, you know, when I'm editing this down, I'm sure I'm going to think of other things I could ask you. So at some point in the future, maybe we could have you back? I would love it. You guys just let me know, and I'll be there. Very be cool. Awesome. Very cool. Thank you again, Dan. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. I've sure enjoyed it. Yeah, have a good night. All right, take care. Bye-bye. 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 Okay, so this is the outro okay. for What do I say on the outro? Jensen. I don't know. You just interject stuff, but you're in a oh, foul okay. mood, so I don't know well, if you're going up. to. Shut up, turd. <laughs> Okay. So that was episode 24 of Subspace Communiques Life After Trek. We would like to give a big thanks to Dan Madsen for joining us. Uh, like I said, we thoroughly enjoyed this interview. Oh, yeah, um, totally. And Dan promised to come back. And, and like I said in the interview, we're going to have him back. Because, you know, during the editing process, I did have lots of questions to ask him. <laughs> um, if you'd like to know more about Her Universe, you can check out heruniverse.com. Uh, you can find a very... Very fancy Gorn shirt there, like we <laughs> mentioned in the interview, uh, designed by Subspace Communique's own uh, Charity Wood. And a whole lot of other really, really cool stuff. Yeah, they do have a lot of really cool stuff, uh, from Doctor Who to Star Trek to Star Wars to you know, new stuff that's in the works that Dan mentioned. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, but check it out at heruniverse.com. And they also have Facebook and Twitter. Um, I'm not sure about Google+, Plus, but you know, I'm really not even sure about our Google Plus <laughs> page. <laughs> Who so. is? Google Plus, the social network that nobody uses. <laughs> anyway, but uh, heruniverse.com, please check them out. If you haven't been to our site before, it's subspacecommunicate.com. Uh, you can check out old episodes of Life After Trek at lifeaftertrek.com. We also have the Facebooks and the Twitters that all the cool kids have. Uh, Facebook.com slash subspacecommunicate. Well, that's not right. Facebook.com slash subspacecoms. Ah. And twitter.com slash subspace comms. Somebody else has a subspace communicate one and it says we suck. For real? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but you can check those out. Please do. And a couple other podcasts that we really like. Of course, uh, Scott and Miles from the Sci-Fi Diner podcast put out a weekly episode. And I think almost bi-weekly. I don't know how they do that. That's Man, just yeah, amazing troopers. to me. But you can check them out at the sci-fi diner podcast.com. Uh, also, Geek Fights at geekfights.net. You can, you know, listen to those guys argue about what's the coolest $6 million man episode. I don't know yeah, if they've done another that another podcast that puts out a ton of episodes. And good quality stuff. Yeah. It's very funny. Oh, yeah. Um, so please check that out. Another podcast we would like to mention is the uh, Starfleet Escape podcast. Uh, you can listen to episodes with Aaron, Marty, and Eric. I believe they put them out biweekly. It's a great Star Trek podcast uh, where they just talk about all things Trek. You know, if you want to listen to something, honestly, you know, with some great fans who really dig Star Trek, good, honest discussion, check them out at sfescapepod.com. That's the Starfleet Escape Podcast. One we don't want to forget, of course, is TrekCast. Uh, Darren and Alicia and David and 
Damon does some stuff for them, or he used to. And Jared, of course, Jared Formby. Check out TrekCast.com. If you haven't listened to TrekCast and you've listened to ours, you're doing yourself a disservice. Because honestly, TrekCast is where we got our start. If it wasn't for those guys, we wouldn't be where we are now. So check them out at TrekCast.com. And so that's it for episode 24. We hope you guys really enjoyed it. Like I said, this was... I can't say that it was my favorite because that would be picking. It's like picking your children, which one's your favorite, (laughs) but I thoroughly enjoyed this episode. And again, I would like to give a big thanks to Dan Madsen for joining us. Yeah, totally. He was such a fantastic guest and a wealth of absolute knowledge for Star Trek and Star Wars fandom and just the experiences he's lived through. Totally. Anyway, I could talk about that for hours, but I hope you guys enjoyed it. We did. And hopefully we'll be making another one soon. Another Life After Trek podcast episode soon. But uh, until then, live long and prosper. Mm-hmm.